I was involved for quite some time in my ministry in training people for the ministry, in training curates, in training vicars how to have curates. That was a harder job than training the curates, I can tell you. Um, and it was a stimulating experience. And uh, having had five curates myself at one point or another, um, I saw some quite interesting scenarios um, as they got together. And in fact, one of the things they would do, and this is, part, this is part of what they need to do, is they get together on a regular basis um, to find out how life is and sort of whether they're surviving and what are their problems. And there's inevitably a little bit of moaning about their vicar. Um, that's almost a given to it. And there was one story that came back to me from my own curate um, who had just been to one of these, and he said, you never guess what that old fool at so-and-so sort of did recently. I thought, well, yeah, I could probably can guess, but sort of, go on, you tell me. Well, he said to his curate, so-and-so, um, well, I've just done a baptism visit, um, and I'd, I'd like you to go round and see them. Uh, well, almost, I think we're going to be baptizing the child, without any doubt, uh, but I noticed there was a couple of rather nice-looking guitars stacked up, um, uh, up uh, against the wall, and I said, well, I know we're having trouble, or you're having trouble particularly, <clears throat> in the family service that we're running, of actually getting some sort of lively, lively music. This is a church with quite a good choral tradition with a robed choir, but it was very traditional. And just once a month, the curate was allowed a bit of flexibility. Um, so I said to him, I don't suppose at some point you could perhaps help our curate out by playing a bit for a service, could you? Well, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I could if we uh, fit in on the right date. Well, good, I'll, I'll send him around to see you. Okay, says, um, what's the name of this, uh, this person? Oh, it's, it's a Mr. Eric Clapton. Uh, <laughs> and he said, you well, he didn't quite say, you stupid old idiot, that's only the greatest rock guitarist in the country that you've just asked if he can come and play for our family service. And you no idea, oh, no, no idea at all. He didn't know. It wasn't his background it wasn't particularly his interest or anything. The fact that Eric Clapton and uh, his then partner uh, lived in, in the parish had completely passed him by. He didn't know who was in his neighborhood because he perhaps wouldn't. There's been an outbreak of pianos in mainline railway stations and shopping centers and people playing them. And Elton John donated one to St Pancras Station and gave a medley of some of his various things, uh, hits. And people were passing by saying, oh, that sounds like Elton, looks like Elton John, it can't be Elton John. Anyway, what's he doing with a piano in the middle of St Pancras Railway Station? Um, but it was Elton John and there were others. John finishes this section of what we call the prologue to John's Gospel by saying the word became flesh. And if you like, in the original Greek text, it's and pitched his tent among us, is what the word is. But we don't pitch tents. And tabernacled among us is what the authorized version said. Because what it actually means in contemporary English is the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Now, this particular passage 
which is he's one of the ones that's, that's often read at Christmas time at some point. It's not the easiest of ones to understand because it sounds all a bit highfalutin and up in the air. And here's all this about the word pre-existing before God. But what's that got to do with us? It's very easy to say, well, it talks about the light shining in the darkness and the darkness in, again, the old authorised version, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. It's a wonderful word which accurately uh, re, uh, reflects the, the underlying word there because it means the darkness neither understood it nor could overcome it. You could say that light shines in the darkness and the darkness couldn't grasp it or the darkness never got it. And so often faced people in the world faced with the Christian gospel, look at it and think, well, I don't understand this. I don't know why it's here. Sometimes I know people who have little glimpses and will talk to me about it. But what is this word that has come in and the light that shines in darkness and the light that the darkness hasn't been able to overcome? <coughs> That reading we had from the letter to the Hebrews, um, the writer there talks about God has spoken to his people through the prophets of old. Well, God has also spoken through giving the law in the Old Testament. And the trouble is, actually, it didn't really work. He tried all that. And as human beings, we're almost sort of um, genetically programmed to disobey any law or something that somebody says we have to do because we must do it. And so things went wrong. He sent prophets to tell us about what would happen. He sent prophets to expose what we've been doing wrong. And of course, it's very unpopular if somebody comes and tells you all the things you've been doing wrong. The likelihood end of the prophet, if actually their words are accurate, um, is to either be ignored or actually stoned and thrown out. So for a God who actually wants people to relate to him what's he going to do he's tried two of the obvious paths and so what actually this this passage talks about is taking the absolutely outrageous and unthinkable path of saying I will go and live among them and I will be their flesh and the same as their flesh will be my flesh and I will live and I will suffer and I will feel and I will be as them. That's unthinkable to the Jewish people. It's unthinkable in the New Testament world of, 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 the Greek, of Greek philosophy that God should actually become a human being. And it, it was a subject that the early church for about the first three or four hundred years spent most of its time talking about how could this be and yet if God has really taken human flesh upon him it means that all our emotions all our feelings all our being human is actually part of the nature of God it's himself or can be it's so easy at Christmas to have a nice sentimental time about uh, lovely little babies who are laid in a manger and everything that surrounds that. Well, yes, 
there's the flesh of a little baby. But there's also the flesh of the old person that's getting papery and thin. There's the flesh of the leper, the flesh of the diseased and the deformed person, the flesh and the mind, because mind is part of our flesh, of the damaged and deluded person. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his grace and his truth. So how do we behold his grace and his truth? Well, we look around us. We look at others. We look at the unexpected kindness of strangers. We look at the, the possibly few instances in society. And the world at the moment, of course, is such an awful place. It's very easy to say, how can there be a God of love if he allows this sort of thing to happen? But he allows, he doesn't so much allow it to happen, but he allows the human beings who he's made to exercise choices that can make them sons and daughters of God if they choose to be, which so often we and they don't. We can see little bits in life where things have worked and the glimpses. If you like, the glimpses of the light and the grace and truth of the word become flesh come poking through. That when apartheid was reversed in South Africa, it's not perfect yet, but it was huge progress. And eventually finding some resolution to the troubles in Northern Ireland and sorting out the warring factions in the former Yugoslavia we are able to show signs of light and life in the world. Can you and I see the light that that child brings? Because it comes with a promise. And John writes to those who, who, who received him, who could see the chinks of light, who weren't signed up to the doom and gloom scenario, who weren't looking for God as an excuse to explain why everything else in the world was wrong, except me. For those who could see the glimpses of light, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave us the right to be children of God to those who accept him. And I imagine tomorrow you're going to be opening various presents. And certainly, uh, if you've got children around, you'll have presents under the tree as well, and there'll be a huge amount of excitement. Here's the present that God is giving to each of us. To accept him and to have the right and the privilege to be a child of God. To sing the carols knowing that we're singing about what God wants for humankind not just what is. Or we could just sing the carols and leave the present under the tree and go on moaning about the world it is. Or we could look around us, look for the neighbour, and we could look for the person who has moved into our neighbourhood who shows us grace and truth. For then we may see something of the word of God. And a really happy Christmas to all of you as well.
in the power of the Spirit and in union with Christ. Let us pray to the Father.